This program is brought to you by SoundsTrue.com. For those seeking genuine transformation, SoundsTrue.com is your trusted partner on the spiritual journey, offering diverse, in-depth, and life-changing wisdom. Many voices, one journey. SoundsTrue.com. You're listening to Insights at the Edge. Today, my guest is Angelus Arian. Angelus is a teacher, author, and cultural anthropologist, and somebody I am so pleased to be able to call a friend. Her teachings, which connect the disciplines of anthropology, psychology, and comparative religion, focus on humanity's shared beliefs and values, along with ways to incorporate this wisdom into our modern lives. With Sounds True, Angelus Arian has created the programs The Second Half of Life, which is both a book and audio series, an audio program called Gathering Medicine, and most recently a new audio program on gratitude, the essential practice for happiness and fulfillment. In this episode, Angelus and I spoke about the importance of having a gratitude practice, how to be grateful in difficult situations, where the heart tends to close. We also discussed the exciting adventure of what Angelus describes as the third act of our lives. Here's my conversation with Angelus Arian. I think of you, Angelus, as the gratitude lady. And I actually refer to you as the gratitude lady when you're not around. And uh, (laughs) the reason is you write me so many beautiful notes of gratitude, and I'm sure you must have hundreds and hundreds of people on a list that you write such birthday notes and Thanksgiving notes to. And I just want to know, first of all, how do you do it? How did you become the gratitude lady? I don't know how I became the gratitude lady, but I just feel like so blessed in my life that it's increased my own generosity of spirit, of excitement, and gratefulness about what has been extended to me. And certainly, you know, you've extended to me so many wonderful opportunities, as have others, that um, it's just been really important. And also I think that I know with my parents, gratitude was uh, always an important action or expression uh, to give. And so I've been raised in a home of gratitude, and I think that's what has sustained and continued through my life. Okay, so unfortunately, somebody like me, I, I don't know if it comes as naturally to me. And I'm curious for our listeners, how can you help people become more grateful in a way that's not saccharine and false? Well, I I love what many traditional peoples have said, that, you know, there are, are really three medicines that you should put in your medicine bundle every day, which is the power of genuine acknowledgement and gratitude, genuine apology, and the spirit of laughter and joy. And cross-culturally, there's not a culture in the world that doesn't have a means of saying thank you or 
cross-culturally, there is all the ritual of gift-giving and acts of generosity. And so it's interesting just looking at, in this culture, we have a tendency to look at giving gratitude for our blessings. Everybody's willing to uh, give gratitude for and recognize what a blessing is. In other cultures, it's not only blessings, but giving gratitude for our learnings or gratitude for the mercies that we've extended to others or others have extended to us or gratitude for the protections of our family or our children being protected. So I think it's inherent in the human being that there's an inherent generosity within the human being that wants to be expressed in a a very genuine way. It's always when the the heart has been touched or moved that gratitude um, is elicited. Now, you used two interesting terms. You said gratitude for the mercies that have been extended to us and protections. Can you say a little bit about what you mean about both of those terms? Sure. In many cultures, there's a lot of practice of gratitude when someone is extended compassion or kindnesses or unexpected forgiveness or mercy towards us or the practice of gratitude also cultivates our own compassion and kindness and forgiveness work and the mercies that we might extend to other people. And all of the cultures of the world have what are called anointment rituals or prayers of protection or invocations for protections of home, protections of family, protections of children, protections of the body. Uh, Every culture of the world has anointment rituals, whether it's with water or with powders or with oils in protecting the body. So many cultures of the world also, besides blessings and learnings, uh, give gratitude for the mercies and for the protections that are available to us. You mentioned that this generosity of the heart is actually native to us as people. How is it then that it's so covered up so much of the time? Well, I think it's interesting that so much of generosity lies like a submarine until there's a crisis, and then we get to see enormous generosity extended when there's a crisis or a natural disaster is that you see enormous generosity that's extended like to New Orleans or Haiti or the tsunami uh, in India, um, enormous. And I think what's interesting is so much of our generosity up to that time is more transactional. I'll do this for you if you'll do this for me. But there's something deeper that lies within the human spirit. It's in our deepest DNA to contribute, to help, to support, It's part of the human species is to learn about love and to express love, but it's also about 
contributing or making a contribution or serving or helping. And I think it's interesting to see when it gets ignited and when it's uh, consciously withheld, but it's there innately, and especially uh, when there's crises. And I think just the practice of gratitude, uh, if we were just to do that one practice, it keeps the heart open, and when the heart is open, there's more curiosity, uh, greater curiosity than there is criticality. And when the heart is open, there's a capacity uh, for generosity that emerges. And how do you suggest that somebody turn gratitude into a practice? Well, one of the ways of cultivating gratitude is at the end of the day is to really look at uh, the blessings and the learnings and the mercies and the protections or to look at the four quadrants of our life that, you know, um, what really worked well at work or in my relationship today or uh, financially or health-wise or where did I feel that I had grown today personally in my own character, risks that I may have taken, and uh, the process of reflection, of taking a look at even the four universal tracking questions of what inspired me today or what challenged me, who or what challenged me today, or uh, what surprised me today, or what touched and moved me today are doorways to integrating our experience. And when we can integrate our experience, then we can open to gratitude. Mm -hmm. Have you ever found a time in your life where something happened and you weren't able to access gratitude? And then I'd be curious how you possibly broke through. Oh, there are many times. (laughs) Uh, that, uh, you know, we hit what T.S. Eliot called the wasteland or dark places or we just can't understand. And many times in my experience is that there have been blessings in disguise, well disguised, but times where I needed to stop, times where I needed to reflect, times where I needed to embrace humility rather than pride, unhealthy sources of pride of um, or fear, places where the heart begins to close down through resentments or disappointments or places where we feel harmed by others or experiences of betrayal. Those are hard places to uh, grapple with gratitude because the heart has begun to close, but it's interesting that every one of those places is a place of deep learning, so I always go to the portal of learning. Well, this is a place of learning, and and also inevitably, in hindsight, it's been a a place of deep growth or having hit a, a ceiling or having outgrown something or stayed in a situation or a circumstance too long, but the learning was invaluable and an opportunity to course correct. 
I think Cicero, one of the great philosophers, said that gratitude was uh, the mother of all virtues, and it requires moving through deep states of fear and pride, an unhealthy pride. There's a positive uh, pride of knowing you've done an excellent job, but an unhealthy pride is the need to be right, to do it right, to look good, have it together at all costs. <laughs> little ego trip, but I find that even with what we know as the seven deadly sins or all states of ingratitude, and we flirt with those states when we go into cynicism or apathy or uh, despair, and yet there's a deeper drive within the human spirit towards wholeness and healing. And uh, it's been well-researched that gratitude just the practice of gratitude will increase health and happiness and humility. How is that research done? What kinds of studies? Michael Emmons at the University of California at Davis and, and also Michael McCullough at the University of Miami have been the foremost researchers on the impact of gratitude or the benefits of gratitude. And what they've found is that people who are grateful people are happier people. They've done different groups and statistically have beat the laws of chance in their research. Their research is combined in a book called The Psychology of Gratitude, and what they have found is that relationships benefit if you have uh, what they call the five-to-one ratio is where you have greater appreciation for each other to one complaint rather than five complaints to one appreciation. The University of Washington, uh, John Gotham, uh, can uh, predict who will, what relationships will last or not last by their ability to uh, give gratitude and respect and appreciation to each other. That ratio stays five to one, to the, and one being the complaint rather than five complaints to one appreciation. There's also been that the practice of gratitude strengthens the immune system. People uh, become healthier and the practice of gratitude also impacts creativity and productivity and increased uh, financial well-being as well. So they've done they've been the two spearheads on research in gratitude with some wonderful results. I'm curious, Angela, sometimes when it comes to the practice of gratitude, I find that I take a kind of fake-it-till-you-make-it approach. <laughs> and I'm curious what you think about that. Well, it's better than nothing. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's kind of what I thought. <laughs> it really is. You know, it's it's like affirmations, you know. Affirmations work in affirming a possibility as if it exists now. Uh, and so... You know, fake it till you make it is, is, you know, at least I'm practicing gratitude, which strengthens that muscle. Well, yeah, sometimes when I'm not immediately grateful, 
but it sort of opens the channel if I just start kind of yeah you know exploring what I might be grateful for, and then before you know it, I actually feel grateful. Yeah, it's really true. It's to start somewhere, you know, uh, for what I am grateful for. I'm curious, as a cultural anthropologist and someone who loves stories, if there's a story related to the practice of gratitude that is central for you or a touchstone for you. Well, there's an old Buddhist story that's about a man who lives with his son and his horses on a farm and and one day the horse breaks a leg and they can't do farming and he says well you know there must be a reason and and so the about a month later uh, the horse heals his broken leg but then when his son's on the horse he stumbles and falls off the horse and breaks his own leg. So the father said, oh, there must be a reason for this because now he has his horse, but his son can't help him. Then the warriors come uh, to take the son off to war, but they can't because he has a broken leg. And so there was a blessing in disguise. And so each one of these seemed like an obstacle or a hardship, but eventually became a blessing uh, in disguise. And so finally, when the the son is healed and the horse is healed, then they can go back uh, to the crops, um, cultivating the crops again. But sometimes when we're stopped or there are places of hardship, there's a blessing there in disguise. And so um, often some of our learnings or hard places are that so that uh, we will stop and uh, something else is shifted in our experience. Mm-hmm. So that's one of the stories that I like. But also uh, I think the the incredible thing around every language in the world having the capacity to say thank you, I, I think there's a mystery uh, to that. Uh, I think gratitude is something that's deeply inherent in the human spirit that releases generosity and uh, that we have rituals worldwide around gift giving to show generosity of heart or to show the expression of our love. And sometimes that has a shadow side that people create empty rituals or they try to manipulate each other through gift giving but the purity of heart that really uh, gives in an honest way is is something that's uh, that's in every human being and is expressed within the lifetime of every human being. And I see the practice of gratitude as a way of keeping the heart open, but also a way of retaining our humanity in uh in a growing world of neck-and-neck darkness and light or evolutionary and de-evolutionary forces in a race here. But I'm forever grateful for the great gift of life itself and also uh, just seeing uh, all the evolutionary possibilities 
that we have ahead of us. Now, Angelus, we're having this conversation with Thanksgiving and the Christmas holidays approaching. How do you suggest people relate to these rituals, these holidays, from a place of genuineness? What kinds of practical suggestions do you have to make the most of these experiences? Well, I think that Thanksgiving is an incredible opportunity to to really give thanks to the people that we love, the holidays, and the practice of really gift-giving, I think, is to give what we know that would really make someone else happy. And families have their own rituals of gift-giving, or and especially in a downturn, there, there may be just buying a gift for one family member or drawing names out of a hat or whatever it may be, or the gift giving gifts in other ways than material, you know, is how to uh, give the gift of time, quality time, not quantity time, but the gift of quality time or the the gift of uh, running errands or um, surprise opportunities where, you know, groceries have already been taken care of or um, something that you know that would surprise and delight and comfort somebody else by the extraordinary thoughtfulness or expression of love uh, that comes from thinking about what would make another person truly happy or would alleviate more suffering. I'm curious, Angelus, I know that you're about to turn 70. And if, yes. if, your, <laughs> if your approach to gratitude or how important it is in your life has changed over the last few decades in any way. Oh, well, it's just increasing. <laughs> it's really increasing. I just find that I value the great gift of life itself is such a gift and um, the gift of friendship and the gift of collegiality and the gift of family has become increasingly more and more important. And really, um, for me, wanting to give gratitude, uh, especially over the last decades, for going decade by decade, for people who have provided enormous opportunities for me to express uh, my work in the world and uh, find myself writing more and more gratitude notes <laughs> than I ever have before and wanting to make sure people know how grateful I am for that. So it's all just increased rather than decreased and wanting, especially in those places where in hindsight, you know, I may have taken things more for granted. Now I I don't take things uh, for granted. Mm-hmm. Now you're the author of a book with Sounds True on the second half of life. And there are many interesting themes in that book, but one of them has to do with legacy and the kind of legacy we might leave as individuals. And I'm curious here, as you approach 70, what your thoughts are about 
legacy and your work? Well, I think a lot of the legacy that uh, I'm consciously working on this time is is really doing more intergenerational dialogue and, and intergenerational work, planting seeds more with the youth and midlifers uh, as a way of giving back so that they don't have to really reinvent the wheel. The legacy uh, leaving around just basically working with the four universal archetypes of uh, the way of the warrior or leadership or the way of the healer or the way of the teacher or the way of the visionary is an old, old map that's considered the mark of a healthy person as someone whose leadership and healer and teacher and vision is all integrated together or that people feel strongly in those four areas. And they're also uh, the four areas that every culture of the world has cultivated. There's not a culture in the world that doesn't have ways of governance uh, or leadership, uh, which is the way of the warrior. Warrior is an old-fashioned word uh, for leadership, and there's not a culture in the world that doesn't have a healing model or modality. And every culture has two models. They have their traditional healing model, then they have their folk medicine model uh, as well. And every culture of the world has their means of transmitting their values and wisdom and experience to education models, which is the way of the teacher. And every culture of the world has the creative arts or the performing arts or the martial arts, ways of expressing ourselves through our life purpose and calling. So these four universal ways have been a part of, you know, not only identifying them, but also providing a book or tapes surrounding them and also the eight gates of opening to wisdom, providing a map for the second half of life. Those are the two big legacies that I'll be uh, sharing. But most of all, I'd like to be more remembered for my personhood than my work. Uh, Why is that? Well, I think when you read the obituaries, that's what's remembered in everyone's heart is either the person's humor or kindness or compassion or generosity. And then down below is, oh, by the way, they taught for 40 years or whatever it was. But we're really remembered in each other's heart for our our character uh, or our personhood more than we're remembered for our work. You know, I'm glad you used that word character. It's a a word that you use throughout the book, The Second Half of Life, emphasizing that we have an opportunity to develop our character. And I'm curious what what you mean by it. It's a word that people don't use very often, but that I quite like. Well, character is, is composed of integrity and patience and trust and flexibility and clarity. It's the heart of our moral compass, but it's what fosters a spiritual growth and development is 
attending to coming in to congruence with who we really are and uh, in our own authentic nature and uh, that's always uh, interested me what keeps me in my integrity and what pulls me out of my uh, integrity or my patience or my trust or or my flexibility which are all qualities that foster wisdom and wisdom develops character or deepens the uh, spiritual maturation so I've been uh, really interested in that and it's one of the reasons that I wrote the second half of life is the eight gates of wisdom is really a pathway in the formulation of character. Mm -hmm. Now tell us a little bit what you mean by the eight gates. There are eight gates of wisdom uh, in the second half of life and each of these are necessary in the second half of life in order to foster wisdom. It's really a map of going through these eight universal gates uh, on aging and eldering. We've been through some of the gates, most of the gates in the first half of life, but in the second half of life, they're associated with meaning rather than ambition and authenticity rather than ego development. So it's ways of coming into one's authentic nature or developing characters approaching these eight gates and there's a task and a challenge and a gift uh, at each gate and there's also uh, reflections and practices uh, at each gate and so if people want to know more about that they can read the book. Mm -hmm. You know I'm curious Angela so I'm going to use an example of someone I spoke to recently and she was a 60 year old woman whose children were now going off to college, and she had been a professional, but in raising her children, she'd put her professional life to the side for many years. And she was a, a spiritual practitioner, a meditator, but yet there was something in her that felt a kind of longing for greater fulfillment, I guess is what right. I would say. A sense of, like, I haven't really done everything I came here to do, except I don't really know what it is. Right. And there's a real longing that's associated with meaning. Uh, she's in a, a perfect place where it's now the beginning of what's called the real journey <laughs> uh, for her uh, because she's raised her children and uh, she's also had a taste of career and spiritual growth and development. But in the second half of life is there's um, almost what I call um, the great soul's haunting uh, of discovering who we really are rather than who we think we are. And it's attached to meaning and a creative fire that takes no wood. And it's a, a place of looking back on where I've been and it's what's really exciting is like if we take a look at our youth as the first act of a play and and midlife as the second act of the play the the third act 
of the play is where all the resolution comes in and it's the most exciting part uh, of the play. You get to see whether it's going to be a surprise ending, whether it's going to be a comedy or a tragedy. Uh, everything gets resolved in the third act and it, it's that longing and it's like Oscar Wilde says, you know, you might as well be uh, yourself because everyone's taken and it's an opportunity to find the who that self uh, really is beyond cultural expectations or family imprinting that it's it's the the deeper soul's journey of uncovering and discovering what's really important to us as a being you know it's interesting that you use the metaphor of a three-act play because I was thinking you know the second half of life makes it sound like two acts but my own experience feels a little bit more like it's going to be three acts but I didn't know if that was just wishful thinking of someone in the middle of the second act you know anyway but, but <laughs> no, what, no. What, do you th- what do you think about that I mean here the second half of life sort of implies yeah you know well the second half of life is really uh, considered 50 to 100 but within that our 50s is the decade of review and taking a look at the best of our youth and the best of our, our midlife and preparing for the wisdom years, which really begin when we're 60. And then 60 is considered the youth of our wisdom years. 70 is the midlife of our wisdom years. And 80 to 100 are are really uh, our wisdom years. But it, the third act is really probably from 60 to the end of life is that's where you begin to resolve youth and midlife issues. But it's interesting that cross-culturally the second half of life is considered as, you know, almost a 50-year marker from age 50 to 100. But within that is, you're absolutely right, there is the third act. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And that's the exciting, exciting creative part that this woman... Uh, that you cited as an example is really coming into the longing of that third act. Mm-hmm. Now, Angela says somebody who has written about the second half of life and studied the four universal archetypes that you mentioned previously, the fourfold way. I'm curious in your own life, having all of this knowledge. about what creates meaning and fulfillment. Has it worked? Do you feel a sense of fulfillment? Or do you feel some part of your life has been unactualized, unrealized? No, I can't say that I've had the experience of uh, something not being actualized. I realize that if I were to uh, go tomorrow, I have been very blessed to live a very, very full life. I think uh, if there's any longing that I have at this time, it's for more time in silence and in nature. But I've I've also built that into my work. You know, I, I made sure that I've taken um, people 
in the last 40 years out into nature for three-day, three-night wilderness experiences. And I teach about silence and all. So I've smuggled it in, you know, all the things that I deeply love or uh, I've smuggled into my work. So uh, I feel really fulfilled that way. I just find myself wanting to spend more quality time with the people that I love, and I'm doing something about that. So I can say that my life has uh, turned out to be one of the biggest surprises to me. You know, there have been so many surprises in my life. Uh, You know, it's been a surprise that I've ever written a book. I had no plans to write a book, no desire to write a book. So that's been a big surprise. It's been a big surprise that I've been able to travel uh, as extensively around the world, connected with my work. Uh, It's just been a wonderful, it's like an invisible hand has really uh, opened up or guided me in uh, so many rich and diverse ways. And I've had adventures, and uh, um, I'm very blessed to be beloved by friends and and to love many people. So I I can't say that uh, there's any pocket of uh, or a huge huge longing um, that I have. I've been blessed to do what I love to do. Uh, I think that's a huge blessing. But I'll let you know if one surfaces. Okay. (laughs) Well, I'm I'm wondering, Angelus, just as we conclude our conversation in the spirit of gratitude, if you'd be willing to give all of our listeners some kind of blessing. Well, the blessing that I love the most comes from Nelson Mandela and was a three-line blessing or invocation that he asked all the townships of South Africa to say during apartheid. Let us take care of the children for they have a long way to go. Let us take care of the elders for they have come a long way and let us take care of those in between for they are doing the work wonderful thank you so much thanks Tammy thank you so much for uh, the incredible work that you do in the world and, and how much solace and comfort and inspiration Sounds True has uh, provided uh, for so many. Well, thank you, Angelus. I'd say you've moved from being the gratitude lady to the shining queen of gratitude. (laughs) It's true. Angelus Arian, she's the creator of an audio with Sounds True on gratitude, as well as an upcoming book, which explores what it means to live a year in gratitude, a workbook exploring blessings and prayers and, as she mentioned, mercies and protections for gratitude. Angelus is also the author of a book and an audio learning course on the second half of life, opening the eight gates of wisdom. 
soundstrue.com. Many voices, one journey.